Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the June 1995 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. Book Reviews by Dr. S. Brent Morris, 33rd Degree. The title of this particular series of book reviews is Get Your Facts Straight. If there's one prime directive for students of Freemasonry, it would have to be get your facts straight. There has been so much written about our fraternity, both good and bad, that it is quite a chore to separate fact from fiction. Many popular Masonic histories from a hundred years ago, beautifully bound with gilt edges, do not meet modern standards of historiography. They were excellent books for their day and used the best available sources, but modern historians have new and better sources. This month's offerings are several good books for establishing some basic facts about Freemasonry. The History of English Freemasonry by John Hamill. This is a revised version of Brother Hamill's 1986 book, The Craft. The first part provides one of the best general histories of masonry to be found. The second part is interesting, but deals with matters more specifically English. In both its parts, this book provides a solid basis for studying Masonic history, and I am pleased to recommend it highly. Brother Hamill is past master of Quatuor Coronati Lodge No. 2076 in London, the premier lodge of Masonic research. By training, he is a historian, and his current occupation is the librarian and curator of the United Grand Lodge of England. He is admirably qualified to write a history of masonry, and his readers will not be disappointed. The history of English Freemasonry starts with theories of origin and should satisfy all but the most diehard supporters of some pet scheme. Brother Hamill is clearly from the authentic school of Masonic history. He demands solid, credible evidence to support any theory. He politely but effectively dismisses esoteric, mystical, symbolist, and romantic ideas of Masonic origins. At the same time, he points out weaknesses in other theories of origins, including my favorite, the transitional theory. Brother Hamill insightfully notes how the unsettled state of Masonic origins adds to its appeal. The lack of knowledge of and variety of approaches to the origins of Freemasonry perhaps explain the strength and continual appeal it still has. After discussing the origins of Freemasonry, Brother Hamill goes on to examine the evidence of Freemasonry in England before 1717, the birth of the Grand Lodge, the development of the Lodge, additional degrees, and anti-Masonry. Adding to the value of this new edition is the accompanying audio recording of Brother Hamill reading his book, each of the 10 chapters takes about 32 minutes. I was able to read and review the book during my daily commute to work, and I'm sure the audio format will be equally useful to others. Masonic Chronology in Context by Leon Zeldis Illustrious Brother Leon Zeldis, 33rd degree, editor of the Israel Freemason, has put together a very useful tool for the Masonic student. His book is a chronology of Masonic events and personalities interspersed with historical facts. The listing runs from 1030 BC, when David founded the Kingdom of Israel with Jerusalem as its capital, to 1993, when the Grand Lodge of Romania was founded by the regular Grand Orient of Italy. 
Brother Zeldis has ferreted out all sorts of tidbits, births, initiations, and deaths of well-known brothers, and put them together in an interesting and easy-to-read format. Even if you don't use the chronology for research, it's interesting just to browse through it. The only complaint I have about the book is relevant to its design standards. Kessinger Publishing has photographically reproduced the book from dot matrix printed pages. Surely with today's ready availability of high-quality desktop publishing, this fine book could have been printed from laser-printed copy. The History of Freemasonry in Tennessee by Charles A. Snodgrass and Bobby J. Demon. In 1944, Brother Charles Snodgrass wrote what has become the standard history of Freemasonry in the volunteer state. Fifty years later, illustrious Brother Bobby J. Demet, 33rd degree, has revised and updated the volume. It is a model of what a Grand Lodge history should be. The book begins with a general history of Freemasonry and moves on to the introduction of the craft to Tennessee. It covers much of the necessary detail of a Grand Lodge history, but without becoming unbearably tedious. One of its nice features is the integration of general historical events through the text. Thus, events that affect Freemasonry in one state are put in context with general history. This history is a fine addition to the reference section of any Masonic library. And finally, the Folger Manuscript, the Cryptoanalysis and Interpretation of an American Masonic Manuscript by S. Brent Morris. This book was the 1993 volume of the Masonic Book Club and was reviewed in August 1993. It tells the story of a manuscript written in 1827 by Brother Robert B. Folger that contained the rituals of the rectified Scottish Rite written in a secret cipher. Hardbound copies of the book cost $25 and quickly sold out. Patmos Lodge, number 70 of Ellicott City, Maryland, has reprinted the volume in spiral-bound format so serious Masonic students can study the material. The following book reviews are from the July 2000 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. Tools of the Craft by Jim Tresner, 33rd Degree, Grand Cross. Since this month's column speaks of the tools of the craft on video and in book, let me add one more medium. The painting, Tools of the Craft, by Brother Robert H. White, 32nd Degree, is one of my favorite artworks. A beautifully framed copy hangs in our Grand Lodge Library in Guthrie, Oklahoma, just a short distance from my office. I frequently seek out the library to read books noted in this column, and during those quiet moments, it is a pleasure to let my eye wander over the library's copy of this print. Its Masonic significance, wonderful color, and play of light and shadow are truly amazing. By definition, a tool is something you use while doing something else. Tools are utilitarian. A tool which doesn't work isn't a tool. But tools can also be things of great intrinsic beauty, sought after by collectors and proudly displayed. Just as the carpenter's tools are used in woodworking and the tools of the tailor are used in his profession, so the tools of Freemasonry are used in the work of masonry, the growth and development of the intellect and the moral ethical sense. Tools of the Craft, Masonic Library and Museum, Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. Three videotape set. Tools of the Craft is a set of three educational videotapes produced by the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. They are simply first rate and I'd recommend adding them to your library. They are listed as being for candidate education, and I have no doubt they would do that very well. But there is much here for the longtime Mason as well. Tape number one is entitled, What It Means to Be a Pennsylvania Mason. While some of the information applies to Pennsylvania, most of it applies to a Mason from any jurisdiction. Lend this tape to a friend who asks you what you get out of Masonry or why you are a Mason. There are some good answers here. 
The second tape is entitled Clearing the Air, Freemasonry, Religion, and Secrecy. This is a clear, easy-to-follow discussion about the fraternity, secrecy, and the charge that we are some sort of religious cult. Those of us who are Masons know just how preposterous these assertions are, but non-Masons don't always see the reality of the situation, especially when bombarded by material from the anti-Masons, which proves, if nothing else, that the technique of the big lie still works. Lend this tape to a friend who asks you if Masonry is a cult, or who asks, why are there so many secrets? The third tape is the gifts of Freemasonry. Again, while part of the tape is focused on Pennsylvania, most of it applies anywhere. This tape talks about the rewards of being a Mason, both what individual Masons get out of it and how Masonry benefits society as a whole. It makes you feel good. Lend this tape to anyone who wonders about what Masons do and why we do it. The Pennsylvania Brethren are to be congratulated on this fine production. You will enjoy seeing it and sharing your personal set with others individually or with your lodge or temple as a fine program. A Trilogy, Inner Journey to the East, Meditations of a Master Mason Along the Way, Masonry for the Millennium, by illustrious George R. Adams, 33rd degree. Here is another fine tool for your own growth and understanding. This volume contains three separate but related books bound in one cover. Inner Journey to the East discusses many of the symbols of Masonry as they relate to the inner transformation, which is the goal of the fraternity. Meditation of a Master Mason along the way is just that, a series of short meditations about life and self-development expressed in Masonic terms. The third book, Masonry for the Millennium, discusses the significance of Masonry for society in the 21st century and the importance of the values Freemasonry brings to that world. I enjoyed reading a trilogy. I think you will too. Masonic Information for Stated Meetings, compiled by Jack R. Levitt, past Grand Master of California. Finally this month, a little jewel of a booklet available from the Southern California Research Lodge. I hope you are on their mailing list. The Southern California Research Lodge has some of the best Masonic books available at the best prices you will ever find. This booklet is a remarkable value. While, as the title suggests, it has short passages which can be read during a stated meeting, and a find that idea that is, it is also a great resource for your personal read. It's a small book, but it grows larger each time you read it. There's a lot of meat in this very small package. The following book review is from the May 2003 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, and is written by Jim Tresner, 33rd Degree Grand Cross. Title of this section of book reviews is called X Decade, or I guess 10th Decade. The 10th edition of Herodom is in the hands of members of the Research Society, and what a book it is. Herodom is the Transactions of the Scottish Rite Research Society, a compilation of papers written by scholars exploring various areas of Freemasonry. It has become the premier Masonic research publication. If you are not a member of the Society already, I'd certainly urge you to join. The dues are very low, and you receive not only Herodom, a substantive hardbound book, but you also get bonus publications each year and the Society's quarterly newsletter, The Plumb Line. It's a terrific value. Dr. S. Brent Morris, 33rd Degree Grand Cross, is the editor. He always does a great job, but this 10th edition of Herodom is surely among his very best efforts. Here's what's inside. Understanding Manhood in America, The Elusive Quest for the Ideal in Masculinity, by Robert G. Davis, 33rd Degree. Brother Davis and I have been friends for more than a decade, and I have watched this article grow from an idea into a really fine essay. 
What does it mean to be a man? This isn't an easy question, and over the centuries, societies have come up with different answers. Brother Davis traces those in this article and shows how Freemasonry plays a role in the answer. With some interesting implications for the future of the fraternity. I strongly recommend the article. This article, greatly expanded from what you will find here, will be published as a book later this year by Anchor Communications. I'll let you know when the book is available. A visit with General Albert Pike. Those of you who read the article by Brother Jack Brucker, 32nd degree, in the March issue of the journal, know that we have made a videotape and DVD of a visit a contemporary Mason makes to General Albert Pike. This article is a script from which we started shooting. There is material here which did not make it into the final edit, so it's actually more complete. My thanks to the journal office staff and Dr. Morris, who added both contemporary and historic photographs to my text to make it much more visually interesting. Presenting Freemasonry Through a Public History Exhibition by Mark Tabert, 32nd degree. This is a jewel of an article, both in its contents and its many color photographs of the exhibit. Brother Tabert, as he tells us, had only been a Mason for 18 months and on the staff of the National Heritage Museum for five months when he was given the task of creating a major exhibition telling the story of Freemasonry and its historic involvement with the community. It would have been a daunting task for anyone, but reading between the lines, I suspect Brother Tabert was advantaged by his newness to the craft. The moss has not yet had time to start growing. What he produced was a dynamic and vital exhibit illustrated in the article. The fascinating story involves the decisions as to how to present the fraternity, what point of view to take, and how this enormous project came together. This exhibit's title is To Build and Sustain Freemasons in American Community and will be displayed in the National Heritage Museum of the Supreme Council, 33rd degree, Northern Masonic Jurisdiction in historic Lexington, Massachusetts until June 2004. So sorry guys, you missed that one. Don't miss it, but if you can't get to Lexington, reading this article is a virtual visit to this modern and impressive exhibit. James Anderson, Man and Mason, by David Stevenson. Very few things truly make me furious, but one of them is the tendency of people to judge men and women of the past in terms of contemporary standards, rather than in the terms of the standards of their own time. It's unforgivably intellectually sloppy. You know, people who accuse Julius Caesar of being a sexist because he did not have women in the Roman army. Castigate George Washington as being evil because he owned slaves at a time when that was considered the norm. Or sneer at Albert Pike because he didn't write in 21st century soundbites. Our venerable brother James Anderson has been much the victim of such attacks. High thanks, then, to David Stevenson for setting that record straight and giving us an account of Anderson's work, with its strengths and weaknesses, based on what he did write rather than on what someone thinks he should have written. In 1721, Anderson was given the task of pulling together such material as he could find about the history and traditions of Freemasonry. The result was the work we usually refer to as Anderson's Constitutions. Not much is known about this interesting man, but the author has done a fine job of giving us what information is available and writing about Anderson in the context of his own time. The notes are excellent, and I think you'll find the article very interesting. Is Freemasonry Afraid of Its Own Shadow? Masonry's Love-Hate Relationship with the Esoteric Traditions by J. Kinney, 32nd degree. Bless Brother Kinney for this article. It is long needed to be written. The shadow in the title is from the works of C.G. Young, the famous psychologist. It is a term he used to refer to those parts of our psyches and personalities that we are shamed of or embarrassed by. You can get a fair Donnybrook started in almost any watering place after a Masonic meeting by introducing the question of esoteric traditions. Some brothers will flash into anger, insisting that there is no such thing as esoteric masonry, unless you're talking about unwritten ritual, and never has been. 
Others will asperse their sanity, saying, what about the middle chamber? The candidate standing between those two pillars obviously symbolizes the middle pillar of the tree of life. Nonsense, comes the rejoinder, and the fight is on. Brother Kinney has done a good job in a short article of setting forth the issue, and one sentence, especially, I would love to see engraved above the door of every Masonic temple and in the heart of every Masonic leader. If we let the anti-Masons define what we feel safe to discuss about our own complex history, and if we allow sensationalist authors to have the final say on how people perceive Freemasonry, then we are surely doomed. Parisian Masonry, the Lodge of the Nine Sisters, and the French Enlightenment by R. William Weisberger, 32nd degree. There are more turns in this story than the maze at Chartres. The story of Freemasonry in Paris involves the highest ideals of man and his lowest politics as well. The relationship between the Grand Lodge of England and the Grand Lodge of France was cordial, with the French lodges eagerly searching into the symbols of English masonry for insights into the ancient modes of thoughts and wisdom. But in Paris, political winds were starting to blow as the stirrings of the Enlightenment were making themselves felt. Into this mixture comes the Lodge of the Nine Sisters, with members from the highest levels of society, as well as some of the most brilliant men of the age. And the world changed. It's a fine story and a well-written article. In the Eye of the Hurricane, German Freemasonry in the Weimar Republic and the Third Reich, by Ralph Metzer. By most accounts, the anti-Masonry in Germany following the end of the First World War was even more strident and hateful than the American anti-Masonry of the mid-1800s. The lodges were easy targets and handy scapegoats for those who were unwilling to accept the changes made in the nation at the end of the war. In spite of this, the fraternity was experiencing rapid growth. The growth, however, was anything but orderly. There were eight individual Grand Lodges. Three of these were of the old Prussian Masonic extraction, highly conservative with a strong military tradition and connection. The remaining five Grand Lodges were much more liberal and populist. They reflected the division in the society, of course, and that division would play out inside the fraternity with almost as much violence as in the German society itself. This is a good article, well-researched, and easy to read. Albert Pike's Address Before the Grand Consistory of Louisiana by Michael R. Pohl, 32nd degree. This is a fascinating article. I'd always thought Oklahoma was unique in that our Grand Lodge was formed by the merger of two existing Grand Lodges. Not so. The same thing and more happened in Louisiana. The article discusses Pike's speech when he was elected Commander-in-Chief of the Grand Consistory. It's a real service to Masonic scholarship. Prior to this, the speech has been virtually unknown. It is at the very beginning of Pike's career, and those of us who love to read Pike have a chance to see here his earliest Masonic style, which is very different from what it would be later become. Equally interesting is the information about Masonry in Louisiana at the time. Brother Pohl gives us a vivid picture of turmoil. Many of the lodges spoke only French. Some were ardently American, two Grand Lodges were established, and the Grand Lodge of another state was chartering Louisiana Lodges. Some were working the Webb or York Rite Lodge rituals, others the Scottish Rite rituals of the first three degrees. And into this walks the brand new Mason, Albert Pike. It's a great story. And lastly, Anti-Masonic Conspiracy Theories, a narrative form of demonization and scapegoating by Chip Burlett. Chip Burlett is Senior Analyst at Political Research Associates, an independent nonprofit research center which studies extremist groups. Freemasonry has, of course, often been the target of such groups, and especially so today. Burlett traces some of the history of conspiracy theories, and a dishonorable history it is, and sounds a clear warning about what we must watch for and what informational techniques we need to employ. Critical reading this. And, oops, that wasn't the last one. Cumulative Index, Volumes 1-10, through 10, by S. Brent Morris, 33rd Degree Grand Cross. 
Norman D. Peterson, 32nd degree, KCCH, SRRS Fellow, and Ron Schwartz, 32nd degree. The best information in the world is of no value if you can't find it. A good index makes a good book. Incidentally, it's one of the first things I check out when I'm looking at a new book. A puny index doesn't necessarily mean a puny book, but it usually means a book that's going to be hard to use. Kudos to brothers Morris, Peterson, and Schwartz for their combined effort. This 94-page index covers all 10 years of Herodom. It's good and easy to use. Preparing it was a major job, and it was well done. This last round of book reviews is actually pretty timely. It's from the November-December 2016 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, a Southern Jurisdiction. It's titled Holiday Treats and is written by James T. Tresner, the second 33rd degree Grand Cross. It hardly seems possible that another year has rolled into history. The festive decorations appear, goodwill is in the air, at least I seem less grumpy than usual, and it's time to treat ourselves a little. The books here would make good gifts for your favorite mason or for your lodge library. And this is a good reason to take a little time to read. As is my custom, I want to start with the best bargain in all Masonic books. Gift yourself with a membership to the Scottish Rite Research Society. With membership, not only do you receive Herodom, the outstanding collection of current Masonic research, and the quarterly member newsletter, The Plumb Line, but bonus books as well. Compared to the value received, the annual membership fee of $55 is a pittance indeed. To join, simply visit scottishrightstore.org, and in the left-hand column under Masonic Education, click Scottish Rite Research Society, and then select the type of membership you would like, annual or life. Now, I'll take a brief pause and state that I haven't verified that that information is still correct. Remember, this article is from 2016. And back to the article. Also, for gifts for your brethren on your list, visit the Supreme Council website, scottishrite.org, and click Store at the top of the page. You will find clothing with Masonic emblems, especially shirts and ball caps, along with many other items. Browse around, it's worth it. The books in this issue cover a wide range of topics, and the first one is one of the most important books to come out in a long time. The Bull's Apron, The Aesthetic Theory of Masonic Art and Material Culture, by Peter Paul Fuchs. This is a wonderful book, but it is not the easiest book to read. The reason centers on the very nature of the topic. Many of us have noticed, as the author points out, that when a truly great artist makes use of Masonic tropes, images, ideas, metaphors, symbols, etc., some really sublime art results. Brother Fuchs references Brother Mozart as an example. The same can be said of Brothers Sibelius, Chagall, and J.S. Bach, among many others. But, at the same time, the arts produced for use in the lodge room were generally rather run-of-the-mill. T'was puzzlement, but Brother Fuchs suggests it can be understood in the nature of the gentleman mason in the early years. It was the fashion at the time for gentlemen to laud and practice the virtues of the country gentleman. This included a rustic simplicity, even if the gentlemen were highly educated. Sometimes, substandard grammar was deliberately used. A less refined taste was preferred. As Fuchs points out, even the king participated in this country rustic behavior pattern. Perhaps the best example of the rustic sophisticated style is the first known Masonic opera, written by Brother W.R. Chetwood in 1731, The Generous Freemason, or The Constant Lady, with the humors of Squire Noodle and his Man Doodle, a tragicom farcical ballad opera in three acts with the music prefixed to each song. 
It alternates between scenes which might charitably be described as rustic simplicity, or slapstick and nearly bawdy, might be more accurate, to scenes in the high style, including an area and chorus in praise of England and masonry sung by Neptune. It includes a parody of a Masonic initiation as well as songs honoring virtue. As Brother Fuchs remarks, it is not always easy to tell when a theme or idea is Masonic in origin. There is much less of a problem when one is talking about religious symbolism or ideas. Religions come with dogma, and it is usually easy to identify a reference to a dogma in a work of art. But Freemasonry deals less in dogmas than in ideas, and many of its tropes are not far removed from those of ordinary life. It is more often in their cumulative effect than in individual instance that they are most noticeable. The book deals with complex ideas, and does so very well. The illustrations are numerous and well-chosen, and the printing and layout of the book are first-class. It is not, as I said, an easy read, but it is ultimately a most rewarding one. Incidentally, the author has an excellent program on YouTube which discusses the major ideas of the book. You can find it by googling The Bull's Apron. The next book is The Craft Driven Lodge by Daniel D. Hrinko. Brother Hrinko raises an interesting question. How does a lodge come to reflect the interests of its members? It certainly is not built into the structure of a lodge meeting in most jurisdictions. While there are variations, elections for lodge officer positions are generally held without nomination. The brethren simply write down the name of the brother they wish to hold an office, and the votes are tallied. In many states, a brother cannot let others know he would like to hold an office, although he can refuse the office if elected. Moreover, the worshipful master is very nearly a benign dictator. It is customary to speak of it being his year in his lodge. Generally, he can decide whether to allow a motion to come before the lodge for a vote. He controls deliberation, who is allowed to speak, and the agenda. And it is a common observation that the lodge tends to take on the personality of the worshipful master. This book is sort of a chronicle of Arts and Sciences Lodge number 792 in Columbus, Ohio. A group of Masons wanted to charter a new lodge and wisely spent considerable time talking and thinking about the kind of lodge that they wanted. They decided they wanted a lodge which encouraged member participation and interaction. They wanted real Masonic education to be a defining characteristic of the lodge. They wanted a lodge which could adapt to the changing realities of the world without losing its Masonic identity. There was more, but they, when they had agreed to the nature of the lodge they wanted to create, they petitioned for and were granted a charter. As a side note, that basic question is a most important one. Lodges which find themselves in a decline would be well advised to ask, what kind of lodge do we want to have, and then work toward it. And how does the lodge adapt to time and change? Brother Hrinko answers it this way. Arts and Sciences is a craft-driven lodge. By definition, this means that the will of the craft, communicated to the master and lodge management, ultimately directs the activities of the lodge. As a result, the nature of Arts and Sciences Lodge will evolve over time as the membership evolves. As new brothers join, they will bring ideas, desires, and needs into the Lodge, which the Lodge will then need to accommodate. As brothers move on due to death, geography, or other reasons, certain desires, ideas, and needs will leave the pool of active members, making some activities less important, if not unnecessary. This results in an organization that is constantly evolving. For this lodge to succeed across time, there needs to be a constant flow of information from the members of the lodge to the management, and from the management to the brothers of the lodge. Should brothers feel that they are not being heard and have no sense of input into the activities of the lodge, they will become disconnected, apathetic, and eventually disappear. However, 
If a formal mechanism is created where every brother has a voice, if they are willing to use it, and feels confident that their opinions matter, then they will be connected, energetic, and invested in the life of the Lodge, being willing to take whatever actions are reasonable to contribute to its success. It does not take much time to read this little book, but there is food for many hours of thought and conversation here. When I joined the craft, there was no thought of the Lodge meeting your needs. Your task was to accommodate the Lodge. For many of us, that was fine, but far too many brethren, not finding what they sought in Lodge, simply stopped attending. Think about the suggestions in this text, and then set out to make the Lodge experience all it can be for everyone. It can be great. And the final one is Brought to Light, Contemporary Freemasonry, Meaning, and Society, by J. Scott Kenny, Ph.D. Brother Kenny is an Associate Professor of Sociology at Memorial University at St. John's, Newfoundland, this is an intriguing book, written by a scholar, but entirely accessible to the layman. Let me give you some of the chapter designations. Sometimes, as in this case, they provide a good overview of the contents. 1. Contemporary Freemasonry, a neglected field. 2. Paths to Masonry. 3. Predisposing Factors. 4. The Social Interplay Between Secrecy and Curiosity. 5. Organized or Organizing Encounters. 6. Attractive or attracting aspects of the craft. 7. Unattractive factors or hurdles to get over. 8. Overcoming the hurdles. 9. Taking the degrees. 10. Social atmosphere and member involvement. 11. Organizational factors and member involvement. 12. Further factors in member involvement and an overall explanatory framework. 13. Claimed life changes since becoming a Freemason and 14, Contemporary Freemasonry, The Direction Forward. The chapter titled, Claimed Life Changes Since Becoming a Freemason, is especially enlightening. Many Masonic writers have said that Freemasonry is a transformative experience, that it produces real changes and development within men. Brother Kenny uses the tools of sociology to gather these experiences among Masons. Not surprisingly, the title rings true. And then a quote from the book. How do you take yourself out of this fragmented social world? There is a sort of isolation, whether it's a spiritual, I don't mean that you cut yourselves off from other people, but that it gives you this sort of space. It all sounds very insular, that you have sort of a walled area where you can regenerate, and I don't think that's a bad thing. For a lot of Masons, it's actually a driving force. I grew up without a father, and I was looking to the Masons as maybe some sort of supportive family type thing that was missing before. Yes, I think I was. Once you're a Mason, you can go pretty well anywhere in the world, find another Mason, and they're sort of obligated, if you're in need, to help you. Just to have that family unit all over the world, as well, is a big benefit, I think. It's definitely an attraction for me. Freemasonry taps into the spiritual hunger today that research shows exist, despite decline in mainline denominations. It's the opposite of our disposable society. Men are searching for something without knowing what that is. The Masonic tradition continues to intrigue men because there's a lack in our society, especially presently, of a stable institution. The church no longer has that kind of power. There isn't really anyone addressing some of the larger spiritual questions that everyone considers, especially younger people. When you get to a certain age, you start to ask some of the bigger questions and want to explore larger ideas, and Masonry has the potential to present a clear path, and I think that it is not any type of stricture. This is a very thought-provoking book which gives a harder edge and focus to the things that many of us have thought and felt for decades. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. 
We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.